Thanks, John. Uh, so yeah, good morning, everyone. Uh, as John said, my name's Jack. Um, and uh, yeah, it's really fun to have John introduce me because like he talked about, uh, he was such a big part of God getting my attention um, as a 17-year-old. And I remember just having a lot of conversations with John uh, towards the end of high school just about what I believed and really wrestling with that. And uh, looking back, it's really cool to see just how God has used people like John and so many others, um, how he used those people just to kind of draw me to himself. And earlier this week, I was just thinking back to the, the very first time, it was, I think, after a conversation with John, but um, the very first time that I just tried to pray, and I really wasn't sure what prayer was supposed to look like. I wasn't even sure yet if I believed in God, but so I kind of prayed to him. And um, so then just to think now kind of where my walk with him, uh, kind of where that's come from is really cool. And so Brookside has been absolutely instrumental in that and uh, just helping me grow in my walk with God. So I really love this church. I'm really excited to be here today. And then uh, just to give you a little bit more background um, about me. So uh, after high school, I decided to volunteer in our middle school group, uh, which is called Tribe. Shout out to the Tribers out there. I see some of you. Um, and so I volunteered as a small group leader, and then after a year of doing that, I was invited to do a, just a very part-time internship with Tribe. And through that, I really felt like God was leading me to go uh, to study the Bible. Um, and so I went to Grace University and started working on my degree and continued to do an internship here. And uh, after I graduated from Grace, I was invited on full-time uh, to take over leadership of Tribe. Um, so that's just a little bit of my background, but um, I honestly, I love being a part of Tribe. What really motivates me the most is that I get to share with students uh, the thing that I didn't really know that much about when I was that age. Um, and so that really drives me, that I can share the gospel with them, um, something I didn't know. Uh, and so I just, I love to be able to do that. And uh, I have to say too, it's not just me. We have an awesome group of volunteer leaders that make that happen every week. Um, and then just one more thing about me before we jump in. So uh, I met my wife here at Brookside as well. Uh, her name's Chelsea, and I tried my best to embarrass her during first hour when she was here. Um, but so I met her through Tribe and through Brookside. She started volunteering as a small group leader too, and then we uh, got to know each other, became friends, and um, then started dating, and I fell in love with her, so I asked her to marry me. So. Um, yeah, it was really fun trying to make her blush first hour. That was pretty much my whole mission um, for this morning. But yeah, so that's a, that's a little bit about me. Um, so let's jump in here, though. Uh, we're here on our first Sunday after Christmas. I hope you had a great Christmas. Um, but now we're in that phase where it's kind of the aftermath of Christmas, and there's all kinds of different outcomes that we're facing. So for me, every year I usually feel pretty tired and uh, you know, on Friday when I woke up, I really just wanted to go back to sleep. Um, but usually af as the decorations get put away and the lights come down, and especially once we get past New Year, I always kind of feel like the fun part of winter is over, and then it's just kind of the cold and blech and just like shoveling snow, um, which we haven't had too much of this year. That's nice, but I'm sure it'll come. 
anyway, so that's kind of what I typically think of as the outcome for Christmas. Uh, the classic one, if you have kids or if you've ever been a kid, you know the classic outcome of the new toy that breaks almost instantly or maybe that loses, loses its appeal after just a couple days. Uh, if you had a dart gun involved or like a Nerf gun involved in your Christmas, chances are half the darts are already missing from that. Um, so lots of different things we could think of, outcomes of Christmas. You might be really energized by Christmas. You might feel like your house is a mess and you're cleaning your garage like John. Um, whatever it is for you, you might be debating uh, when the decorations are supposed to come down. You might be regretting how much you ate. There's all kinds of things that if I were to ask you, um, it'd be fun to hear what you'd say. Um, but that would take too long, so I'll spare us from that. But anyway, so those are all kinds of different outcomes. What I want to talk about this morning, though, is an outcome that's way bigger than any of those things that I just mentioned. And it's what I would say is the greatest possible outcome for us when it comes to Christmas. And for me, it's so easy just to, to fly right through Christmas and go into the new year and not really reflect on the meaning of Christmas, not really slow down. And so this morning, I want to slow down I want us just to, to kind of look at a concept that is actually made possible by the first Christmas. And so this idea, this concept we'll be talking about this morning, it's had a huge impact in my life. I would say that it was a game changer for me and in my walk with God. You know, as I, I'm just like anybody else, I struggle in uh, my attempts to try to follow Christ. But as I uh, more understood this concept or kind of sought after it more, it really started to change my view of God, my relationship with him. It became less about feeling guilty and it came more about really truly enjoying him. And I started to be able to conquer sins that I never thought I would conquer. And I was able to forgive people that I never thought I would be able to forgive. And so we're gonna kind of, I'll unpack what that idea is in just, <clears throat> in just a moment here. But um, first, I want to jump into the Christmas story just one last time uh, before we leave Christmas this year. And so just really quickly, we're going to jump into the book of Matthew because there's a statement that's made that has a huge impact uh, on each of us. It has significant meaning for us. And so we're going to take a look at a few verses in Matthew 1, and we'll jump into the middle. So really quick, just the, the context. So Mary becomes pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph is in crisis mode. He's like trying to figure out what he's going to do. Um, if you could imagine, he's going to marry this girl and all of a sudden she's pregnant. So life is turned upside down. And uh, so he's thinking about divorcing her quietly and he wants to do it in a way that's honorable to her. So he's wrestling with this. And so we'll just jump into the story there. So this is Matthew 1, verse 20. And it says this, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said this, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And then it says, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And then in verse 22, Matthew writes, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And then this next verse here, it's a quote from the book of Isaiah that was written 700 years earlier. And so Matthew's quoting this prophecy about the Messiah. And it says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. 
Now, Emmanuel, for a long time, I never really thought about or knew what Emmanuel means. And you might just think of the Christmas song, uh, one of the Christmas songs that you sang in the last week or so. You might think of the hospital on 72nd Street, which is the first thing I think of for some reason. Um, but so Matthew, he gives us this clarifying statement. He wants to make sure we know what Emmanuel means. So he writes, they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so it's that phrase, God with us, that I really want to focus on this morning. It's so easy to kind of just cruise right by this verse in Scripture as we read the Christmas story. But that phrase, God with us, it's packed with implications for each of us. And so there's the immediate sense in that God with us, it's talking about how Jesus was literally God with us, that God came to the earth. And when you think about that idea, that's pretty amazing, that the God of the universe, the God who created the sun and the stars and galaxies and who thought up the idea of atoms and DNA and molecules and how everything works together and who created this world and who created the universe. I love thinking about that stuff. The God who created all of that, that he came to live with us as a human. And sometimes we hear that so much around Christmas that it might be easy for us to forget of how significant that is, how amazing that is, that he lived life as a human. It's crazy, though, in fact, that like most, most religions, they talk about trying to get to God. It's about being obedient enough or working hard enough or achieving it so that you can get to God. But here we have what we see in the Bible is that God came to us. And that's pretty amazing when you think about that, when you really slow down to think about it. But the phrase, God with us, it's more than just Jesus with us for a few years on the earth. Um, the phrase, uh, or what Jesus accomplished, made it possible for God to be with us in an even more broad and general sense. Um, the idea of God with us, it's something that's available not just in heaven when we die, but it's something that can be true for each of us right now. It can be a reality in our life that we can choose to do life with God because of what Jesus accomplished on the earth. It's the outcome of the first Christmas. And then this idea of God with us, it's not just a, a little part of a verse in the book of Matthew. It's actually a concept, it's a theme that we see throughout the entire Bible. So in the beginning, we see in Genesis, God creates Adam and Eve, and before sin enters the picture, his design is that he would be with Adam and Eve in the garden. And so it's God with his people. And then as the Old Testament unfolds, we see God interacting with Israel, and the thing we see time and time again is that it's God's desire to be with his people, Israel. That's what we see through the Old Testament. We see it in the life of David, too. Uh, David, when he sins and he commits adultery and he murders, um, he cries out to God. And in Psalm 55, we read about him begging to God. He says, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. And then we see kind of the opposite in Psalm 16. David's uh, rejoicing and being in God's presence. He says, you will fill me with joy in your presence. And so we see how big of a deal that is in David's life, that he can be with God, that he can have God's presence. It's something that he doesn't want to lose. And so we see it throughout the Old Testament, and we see it in the New Testament too. When Jesus is leaving uh, the disciples, he says that he will surely be with them always until the very end of the age. 
And he makes this promise to them right before he ascends into heaven. So we know he's talking about more than just physically being with them, but it's, it's a bigger idea of God being with them for the rest of their lives. And in uh, the book of John, before uh, Jesus goes to be crucified, he's having a, a conversation with his disciples, and he says this. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And so he's talking about the Holy Spirit, that God can be in us, so that we can have God's presence with us. And then he makes this promise to them in verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And so um, through the rest of the New Testament, we see people putting their faith in Jesus. And then what are they doing? They're seeking to do life with God. That's the story really of the rest of the New Testament all the way until the very end of the Bible when we see this picture of God's people in heaven with him and they're in his presence. And so in the book of Revelation, John has this vision of heaven and, and he writes about it. He says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And so... It's something that we see from, big, from the beginning to the end of Scripture. And it's unmistakable that it's a theme throughout, that God wants to do life with us. John Orberg, uh, a pastor and an author, he says, The most frequent promise of the Bible is, I will be with you. Just to hammer it in a little more there. You know, it's pretty cool to think about all the promises that God makes to us in, in Scripture. Promises of forgiveness and of being with him in heaven, in perfection for eternity. But really the most frequent promise, the one that he keeps saying all throughout scripture is that he can be with us. So around Christmas, you know, we tend to reflect a little bit more maybe on the relationships that we're thankful for. And uh, when I think of people I'm thankful for in my life, I think of my wife, Chelsea. I'm so glad that I get to do life with Chelsea. Like, my life wouldn't be the same if I wasn't doing life with her. And there's other people in my life, friends and family that I could mention. I'm so happy I get to do life with them. I'm grateful for that. And I imagine that you have people like that in your own life too. And so think about it. God offers us the same opportunity that we can do life with him. And so this concept that I was talking about before that, that really has changed my life, that I think is worth us pursuing that I think can be the outcome for us this Christmas, it's simply the fact that we can choose life with God right now. And if there's nothing else that uh, you walk out of here um, thinking about this morning, I hope you walk out just thinking about this statement, that we can choose life with God right now. And in one way, that might sound really simple, um, but at the same time, I think it's one of the greatest concepts that we could ever consider. And it's more than just something for really spiritual people or for missionaries or for people who work at churches, but it's something for all of us. The fact that God, that we can do life with him, that has implications for every single one of us every single day. When you think about the seemingly ordinary things in your life, going to work and going to school and spending time with your family and the way you spend free time, it's the reality that God can really 
be with us in all of that. We can choose to do life with him in all of that. And so whether this is maybe a brand new concept to you or maybe this is something really familiar, I want to challenge us this morning to not settle for less than what God offers us. I think sometimes we can settle uh, for less than what he's offering us. So maybe think about it this way. Imagine that as you walked into to church this morning, you looked across the room and you thought you saw Warren Buffett. And you're like, hey, I'm pretty sure that's Warren Buffett. That's awesome. So you're like, I'm going to go talk to him. And so you walk over and you strike up a conversation. It turns out it is Warren Buffett, who's a billionaire, by the way, just in case you didn't know. Um, and so you become friends with Warren Buffett, this billionaire, and you guys hit it off. You become really great friends. And, uh, you know, months go by, you build this friendship, and you just, you have this great friendship with Warren. And so then let's say several years go by, you're still friends with Warren, and then you get the, the phone call one day and you get some sad news that your friend, Warren, has actually passed away. And so you're invited to come to the reading of his will because you're really good friends with him. And so you go and they're reading the will and they tell you that Warren has left you something as a gift for your friendship over the years. And so he leaves you uh, one of his mansions. And so here's maybe a picture just to help you visualize. He leaves you a mansion, which is pretty sweet, right, to, to get a mansion. So now imagine this. Imagine that you get this mansion and then you decide you're going to go over and check it out, but you go and you just park in the driveway and you sit there and you just kind of look at it. And you might do that for a little bit because you're like, whoa, that's big. But then what if you never actually went in? What if you invited your friends over, hey, check out my mansion, but you just kind of walked around it or you peeked in the windows, but you never actually went inside? Well, that would be pretty weird, right? Because you have a whole mansion at your disposal, but you're not actually using it. You're just kind of looking at it. And so that would be kind of like getting a brand new sports car and just sitting in it and not taking it out for a spin. Like, that would be just wrong, right? Anyone? So here's the thing. I want to say this with as much humility as I can. I think that we sometimes make that same mistake in our approach to God. And I say that with humility because I've made that mistake plenty of times before. But sometimes we settle for less than what he's offered. And God, he offers us something that is a lot cooler, a lot greater than a mansion. God offers us life with him. So a question you might ask yourself is this. Do you see following Christ as an opportunity to do life with God? Or are you settling for less? Are you maybe kind of sitting on the outside of the mansion, or are you willing to open the door and go in and explore it and enjoy it? And so for the rest of our time, I just want to address a couple reasons that I think sometimes can cause us to settle for less than what God offers us, and then hopefully just encourage us to fully choose what he offers us, to fully choose life with him. And so uh, one reason that I think we sometimes settle is that we view the forgiveness of sins, a great thing, the forgiveness of sins, we view them as the end goal. And so, you know, when you go back to, to Matthew and Jesus was born and he, he grows up and he goes on to live life as a person, as we talked about, and I love what we read in Hebrews 4.15, that Jesus understands us because uh, and he was tempted in every way that we are. Tempted in every way. So he experiences life the way we do. He goes through pain. 
Um, he makes friends, he loses friends, but then he experiences temptation just like we do. So we have a God who understands us, but then not only does he experience temptation like we do, he goes through it all perfectly. And so that's really at the core of the message of the gospel, that Jesus, who was perfect, who never sinned and didn't deserve punishment, he dies in place of us on the cross who are sinful, who aren't perfect, and who do deserve punishment. And that fact, I mean, there's not even really words that describe how amazing that is. That is just mind-blowing that God offers us his mercy and his grace as a free gift to each of us. But it would be a tragedy for us to think that forgiveness from what Jesus did on the cross, it would be a tragedy to think that that was the end of the story. Again, forgiveness, it's an amazing thing. I'm so thankful that you and I, that we can go to God and ask for forgiveness for things that we've done in the past, maybe things from the last week. That's amazing. We can go to God and we can ask for forgiveness. But to stop short and just stop at forgiveness, that'd be a tragedy. In Colossians 1, we see just one of several, several examples in Scripture where Paul talks about forgiveness in this way, that it's only the beginning. He says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, he being God, and he brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so you see, forgiveness, it's essential, it's there, it's at the center, but really, it's the means by which we come into the kingdom. It's the means by which we have life with God. So forgiveness is crucial, but it's not the end of the, storeway, uh, the, end of the story. Forgiveness, it's more like a doorway or a bridge into life with God. And so one way maybe to think about it is like the difference between a wedding and a marriage. So uh, my wife and I, Chelsea, we've been married uh, a year and a half now, uh, short enough that I'm still counting the half years. But here's a, a picture from our wedding. She's uh, pretty good looking. But so before our wedding, um, I, I read this article that had some, what I thought was pretty amazing advice. And it talked about how you should make sure you put just as much, if not more, time into planning your marriage than you do planning your wedding. And it was kind of talking about how so many people, we spend all this time planning the wedding, but then we don't really give thought to the lifetime of marriage that comes after the wedding. And so people kind of sometimes make that mistake. And I thought it was a really great point because it just came down to what the difference is between a wedding and a marriage. The wedding ceremony, it's, it's what begins the marriage but the end goal is always going to be the marriage. In fact, if Chelsea and I, if we went on after the wedding just acting the same way we did before the wedding, that would be kind of weird to kind of run separate lives and, you know, maybe I'd still come over to her parents' house and pick her up for a date. But that wouldn't be marriage, right? So the wedding, that's the doorway to a new relationship between Chelsea and I. It's the doorway to our marriage, our life together. And in the same way, forgiveness, it's like the wedding ceremony. You could say it's like reading your vows. It's the doorway to doing life with God. It's the doorway to a new relationship with him. In fact, you could say forgiveness, if that was the end goal, then the Bible, it could have just stopped right at the end uh, after Jesus rose from the grave. It could have just stopped there. But what do we see throughout the rest of the New Testament? It's that we see stories and conversations about people doing life with God. 
And so the choice for, for all of us, it's first to, to put our faith in Jesus for what he did on the cross, but also we have to go beyond that. We have to ask ourselves, am I content settling there? Forgiveness is just the beginning to life with God. And so that's one way we might settle sometimes is to view forgiveness as the end goal. Another way that I think we sometimes settle is that we think of life with God as only meaning heaven when we die. Uh, I'm not sure what you think about when you think of heaven, maybe a childhood pet, uh, maybe your favorite celebrities. I've been known to fantasize about throwing a football with Tony Romo. Um, So we might think of heaven in those ways. You might have always thought of heaven as maybe just the better alternative to hell. Uh, But really the picture that the Bible gives us about heaven It's really that what makes heaven so great is that we get to be with God and his plan is fully complete. We're with him in his presence. There's no more pain. There's no more suffering. And so for us as Christians, for those who have put their faith in Christ, we should absolutely celebrate and be excited about the reality that we get to be with God in heaven forever, in perfection for eternity. And so that's amazing, definitely amazing But it would be a mistake for us to think that life with God, it only starts when we get to heaven. Life with God is something that starts right now. When the Bible uses phrases like eternal life or kingdom of God or new life or adoption as God's sons and daughters, it talks not just about a future reality, it talks about something that's a current reality for those that have put their faith in Christ. And so, sure, in heaven we get to experience life with God to the fullest extent, but that doesn't mean we can't have life with God right when we first put our faith in Jesus Christ. Again, in the New Testament, it's all about people doing life with God before they die. And so one of the greatest mistakes we could make is to think, I'm just in a holding pattern until I get to heaven, We're designed to walk with God. He wants to to work in us and through us. Again, think of the mansion. Why would we settle for sitting on the outside when we could go in? And God offers us something much greater than just a mansion. And so a question that you might ask yourself this morning is this, am I involved in what Jesus is doing right now or am I simply just passing time until I go to heaven? For me personally, I can't be reminded enough of of that reality that I can be a part of what God is doing right now that he wants to work in me and through me every single day sometimes I think it's easy for us to forget that that God actually cares about the simple things in our lives that God cares about the things the normal things in our routine but as we go through our days and weeks God his heart breaks when our heart breaks, and he celebrates when we celebrate. He mourns when we mourn. He wants to be with us in everything that we go through. And we can seek God's presence in our lives. We can ask him to be a, charge of, uh, be a part of changing our hearts so that we crave God and his ways more than we crave sin. And we can partner with him in what he's doing in and around us, and he can use us to impact our families and our neighborhoods in our workplaces. And so for each of us, when it comes to the outcome of Christmas, I don't think it's an overstatement to say that the greatest outcome that we can have is to do life with God, to choose life with God. And so 
taking this idea, you know, there's a lot we could talk about. But if, you think, if you're thinking to yourself, how can I pursue life with God? Um, well, I think, I don't want to just give the churchy answers, but it would be wrong for me to not mention two things that I think have a huge impact on how we do life with God. And so the first one is spending time uh, reading scripture. And so just really quick, I have to share, for me, uh, I was in a, I'm in a group with guys that I've been in uh, for the past year, and we've been pushing each other to read through the Bible, and I love having other guys challenge me to do that. I'm kind of competitive. Uh, but what it does for me is it really sparks my relationship with God. When I keep the Bible closed, it dramatically decreases the chances of me hearing from God in my life. But the more time I've been in Scripture, the more I see who God is and what his, what his dreams are for me. And so some of you I know already have uh, a plan for January or for 2015 of what you're going to do to, to read in the Bible. And uh, you have that plan because you know the power of reading God's word. You know that that's a way you can choose life with God. And I would say if you haven't read the Bible before, um, or maybe it's been a while since you've read the Bible, I would say that's a great place to start. And you might even just jump into the story in Matthew and start where Jesus is born and then just kind of read the rest of the book of Matthew and just kind of see what God teaches you as you read about the life of Jesus. So that's one thing is, is reading the Bible. And then the second thing I, I just have to mention is prayer. And we just did a whole series on prayer the last three weeks um, that you can go back to and listen online if you missed it. Um, but I have to say, last week, I thought what, what Steve shared, those six things when it comes to prayer, I thought those were absolutely foundational things that, um, that really help us to pursue life with God. I thought those were brilliant. Please tell Steve that I told you that, that he's a genius. Um, but those were great. So if you missed those, really... I would encourage you to go back and listen to those online, or even if you um, didn't miss it, you might want to consider listening to it again. But So those are a couple of examples of, of things that we can do, but kind of as we come to a close here, I want to address one thing, and that is the way that we approach God. So when you think about the nature of a relationship, uh, one thing that we all know is foundational um, is communication, the way we communicate. So I have a, a quote here from... Um, a very profound scholar, says, statistics show the number one cause of failed relationships is opening your mouth and letting words come out. So that's Bill Murray. Um, I really like that quote. Uh, but, he's, so he's not a scholar, obviously, not super deep quote, but we all know, right, that the opposite is true. In order for a relationship to work, words have to come out, but it's the type of words that matter. It's our heart behind those words that matter. We know that communication, it, it makes or breaks our relationships with our spouses and with our friends, with our kids. Uh, in my seasoned year, put that in quotes, uh, seasoned one and a half years of marriage, uh, I found that good communication can do wonders for a marriage and bad communication can cause a lot of problems in a marriage. So my point with that is I'm not trying to give marriage advice since I haven't even made it to two years yet, but here's my point. Communication, it's the same in our relationship with God. The way that we approach God matters. When we seek God out of obligation or out of maybe a selfish need 
or because we think it'll put us in better standing, it's not really the type of communication that cultivates a relationship with God. The way that we approach God, our heart in it, it matters. Just like with Chelsea, when I say I love you, she can tell if I'm saying that out of obligation or if I really mean it. And it's not so much about how many times I say it a day or if I'm sure to say it at least once in the morning and once in the evening, although I better not go too long without saying it. But the point is, it's more about my heart in it. It's more about if I mean it. And so again, it's the same in the way we approach God. Our heart in it, the meaning behind it, it matters. It's so easy for us to to systematize and to have kind of a a check-the-box mentality uh, to our, towards our relationship with God. And I do that with, uh, with reading the Bible or with prayer at times. But again, think about what if we approached the rest of our relationships in that same way? Where would that leave us in those relationships? And so today, I simply just want to encourage you to start small by focusing on your heart and the way you approach God, to really think about the way that you approach God. Uh, there's one pastor that challenged his church to do an experiment. And um, th- what they did was they set reminders to go off on their phones and watches every 60 minutes all day long. And their goal was every time that the, the watch goes off or the phone, they're supposed to just remind themselves that God is present. And then also to kind of have an ongoing conversation with God. So it's checking in with God every 60 minutes, um, kind of talking to him about your day. And so he told the church, you know, not to worry too much about feeling guilty or, um, you know, if they miss an alarm or they accidentally forget to set it or whatever it is. He said, really just focus on trying to have more interaction with God throughout the day. And so then the results were pretty cool. All over the church, stories started popping up of people doing life with God and experiencing that in a whole new way for them. And so for us, simply seeking God maybe throughout the day, that can be the difference between doing life with God and doing life that's kind of just around God or near God. That can be the difference for the way we approach God. Again, the way we approach God matters. Let's not settle for less than what he offers. Let's approach him in a way that says, I want to be with you. Um, I want to give you just a moment to, to pray here on your own, uh, to have a conversation with God about this topic. But first, I just want to share one more example from my own life that really impacted the way I approach God. So a few years ago, I came to this spot in the book of Jeremiah, and Jeremiah, he's talking about God and then about all the other idols of these nations around them. And he talks about how these idols, they're really just trees that people like cut down and then like carve and dress up and they start worshiping these trees and his whole point is they're just trees. They're not life. They don't have any life in them. They're, they're not gods. And so then he contrasts that with God and he says this in Jeremiah 10, 10. He says, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God, the eternal king. And remember that, that verse just really sticking out to me about how God is, he's active, he's living among us. And then later on in that chapter, uh, Jeremiah has this prayer. And the part of this prayer really stuck out to me too. Verse 23, it says, Lord, I know that people's lives are not their own. It is not for them to direct their steps. And so I really liked that. And so I took it and I just turned it into my own little prayer for my own life. And so I wrote this out. 
I just wrote, my life is not my own, Jesus, direct my steps. And so it was really a simple thing for me, and it was, uh, all I was doing was just acknowledging what was already true, but saying, God, I don't want to try to control everything in my life. I want to give you control. I want to do this with you. And so, you know, just like anyone else, I struggle with being selfish. I can so easily look back towards myself before I look outwards. But for me, it was just a simple way of acknowledging him. And what it did for me was it changed my mentality towards God. It reminded me, I started praying this prayer throughout the day, multiple times a day, and it was just a reminder for me that I could trust God, that God had my best interests in mind, that even when I didn't understand or I didn't know what to do, that I could trust him. And so for me, it was just a simple little prayer, but it had a huge impact on my life because it changed in my heart, it changed the way that I approached God. And so we're sitting here just a, a few days away from 2015, and the new year, you know, it's a time when we're often refocusing and rethinking things. Um, so I want to capitalize on that this morning. I can't think of a better time to rethink how we approach God than right now. Now is as good of a time um, as any. And so you know, that prayer that, uh, that I shared, it started with, in my mind, just a little, a simple what-if type of question. What if I just made this a prayer for my life? How would that impact my relationship with God? And so I want to just ask a few what-if questions for you this morning. What if you made that your prayer? Or what if you altered it to be something that fit you a little better? Uh, what if you started to acknowledge God throughout each day, maybe in your own unique way? What if maybe you did uh, what the people at that church did, what that pastor challenged them to do? What if you set up some reminders throughout your day to acknowledge God's presence, to check in with him, to talk to him about what's going on in your day? I can't help but think that, uh, about how that might impact us if we were intentional, if we actively chose to do life with God I think that could be a pretty amazing outcome for us this year. And I can't think of a better way for us to start 2015 than saying, I'm going to choose to do life with God. I'm going to pursue this. And so I want to give you a moment to pray on your own and just to check in with God. And you can talk to him about maybe whatever, whatever's on your mind. Maybe you haven't checked in with God yet today. Um, but what I would encourage you to do is also to have a little conversation with him about what we talked about. Have a conversation with him about really pursuing and choosing and being active in, in pursuing this relationship with him and in doing life with him, not settling for less than what he offers. And then I just have to say, uh, if you're here this morning and maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ before, maybe that's a new idea or maybe you've heard it before but just never made that commitment I just want to let you know that that phrase, God with us, the us in there, it means everyone. It means every single person. That no matter what our past is, God, he forgives us. That we can put our faith in what Jesus did on the cross for us. And that we have forgiveness. And because of that, we can have this new life with God. And so for you, that might be just a simple conversation with God that you can have. You can just tell him that you do believe that he died for your sins you can ask for forgiveness from those sins because of what he did, and then you can thank him for the new life that he invites you into.
And so I'm just going to give us a moment to pray now on our own. So I'll let you do that for a few seconds, and then I'll just close us uh, in a few moments here. So God, um, we just say you're amazing and you're a good God. Lord, I pray that you would keep this on the front of our minds, that the outcome for us this year from Christmas, it could be a result of the outcome of that first Christmas. Lord, that you offer us life with you. Father, would you, um, would you remind us, would you help us not to settle for less? We don't want to settle for less, Lord, so would we choose to pursue life with you? Um, yeah, we love you, Lord, and Pray this in your son's name. Amen. All right. Well, let's go ahead and stand and worship God together.